0: Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. What's going on today on the What Differences It Make podcast?
1: I'm feeling saucy today, Dave. How are you? Did you say saucy? I'm feeling saucy because I am feeling awesome that we are speaking to Nick Mason from Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. Saucer, awesome, saucy.
0: Okay, I'll allow it.
1: <laughs> Nick Mason is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame drummer for
0: Pink Floyd. Nick Mason's taking the bull by the horns and playing, well, hey, what about this early stuff? It's pretty good. So he is taking a band and playing these early albums from 67 to 72. This is not just any band.
1: This is a band made up of Guy Pratt, Gary Kemp, Lee Harris, and Dom Beacon.
0: They're so good, we should get them on the podcast. I'm thinking that maybe next week we could talk to Gary Kemp again and Guy Pratt. But in the meantime, can you tell us other ways that our listeners can connect with the What Difference Does It Make podcast?
1: Check us out on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make podcast and on all other social media at WDDIM podcast.
0: All right. Well, let's just get right into it now. This is Hall of Fame rock and roll drummer Nick Mason of Pink Floyd and Saucer Full of Secrets on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Hi, Nick Mason. Welcome to the podcast. My first hard hitting question is this. Why Saucer Full of Secrets instead of Piper at the Gates of Dawn, which is a
2: totally cool band name. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Piper's at the Gates of Dawn would, be, would have been rather good. I think mainly because uh, it, it indicates that we're sort of crossing over between the Sid Barrett thing and the, what we went on to do after that. And also, I guess, because it's probably my favorite Floyd album of all anyway. Why is that? That's kind of a weird yes. point in, in
0: Pink Floyd's early career
2: well i think it, it sort of sets you know it, it sets out a an idea of where we're going to with with the title track in particular but it also contains um set the controls which is one of the most interesting songs of in the entire floyd repertoire repertoire for for a drummer to play using the mallets and so on and and it, i also think the the goodbye to sid the um the track with the uh, with the brass band on is just still so moving and so um, just fits Sid leaving really well and don't care and
1: So you want to Dave, you think there are a lot of band names to choose. Think about the music. So you're, you're talking about eight albums pre side that you're choosing music from. How do you choose the music?
2: Uh, well, not too difficult. But, but to start with, what we did was we sat down, the five of us sat down and uh, all wrote down our sort of uh, favorite songs. And then we took the, all the songs that everyone had voted for. Uh, so, it, and we sort of worked like that most of the way through, till we got to slightly more complicated things where maybe three people liked it, two didn't. Uh, but the three people would give it a go, and that, that's what's interesting. You just start trying to play it and see whether it begins to come together, or everyone goes, "This is really embarrassing."
1: Oh, I want to know the embarrassing moments. Who, who, who embarrassed, and which songs?
2: I couldn't possibly tell you. uh, Well, I can tell you that Chapter 24 is one of my favorite Floyd songs, uh, but it was booted out because there's no drum part on it.
1: (laughs) So how does it get to be a drummer's favorite song?
2: I just really (laughs) like the song and I remembered it and I was sure it did have a drum part on it. So until (laughs) I actually can invent something that would work, it's it's off the list, I'm afraid. All movement is accomplished in six stages, and the seventh brings return. The
0: That brings up an interesting point. Did you watch Get Back, the documentary, the Beatles documentary? Uh,
2: no, I haven't seen it yet.
0: During the documentary, you know, you you watch Paul and John kind of hash out a song, or or, or you. There was one point where you, where Paul's trying to actually he's starting to play Get Back, and Ringo's just sitting there and very very patient. There, he doesn't say anything much. He's just he's just there yeah. and just kind of observing what's going on and then all of a sudden it comes it's you know it slowly comes together and then you know ringo gets an idea and steps behind the drum kit i kind of get the feeling that's what is that kind of how it worked with with floyd what how uh, how how did it, how'd you
2: find your part yeah well there are different songs took different were written in different ways but certainly in the studio yeah uh, yes that's one something someone pointed out to me that said what is similar is that no one's telling ringo what to do and that was the same for me the others never really told me what they thought should happen it was left to me to do what i thought was right for it and i did like charlie watts describing being in the rolling stones he said basically it was something like two years work and 40 years waiting around
0: actually I didn't think I
2: realized this but in the
0: 60s or, and actually in the early 70s you were pumping out these albums one a year one or two a year it was uh, it was crazy you don't think of that with Pink Floyd you think of them you know meticulously like just waiting yeah. for that perfect moment and just to be patient and you
2: know but that yeah, no, was not people, the case people got through a lot of work in those days and then by the time we got to uh, later on I can't remember how long it took um Fleetwood Mac to make Tusk but it was something monumental like sort of three years of mainly sitting around in the studio waiting for an idea to come by. So <laughs> how
1: long did this band how did how long did you percolate on this I had it I so this band you started in 2018?
2: Uh, yeah the time scale for it was Lee going to see Guy then coming to see me which must have taken a week and then an agreement to go and rent a studio, a rehearsal studio, the week after. So it didn't take very long to sort of get started on it.
1: Wow. Dave, you want to start a band?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. But are you surprised by what comes out? I mean, you know, it's clearly not Roger Waters and and, uh, and David Gilmore. You know, it's not the guys, but it's mm-hmm. you. You have some amazing musicians. Is it? Are you surprised? But uh, the the sound that uh,
2: that is created on stage? Totally, completely. I, I really didn't know what to expect, and on that basis. Uh, I didn't invest heavily in it uh, we only took two days of, of rehearsal studio time which is not expensive but what was great was that I would think by the end of the first day we all went this is definitely going to work we we like it it just went from there and well I wouldn't really feel comfortable listening to the very the first gig we did but it seemed to go very well now it sounds pretty pretty average but it's amazing with the good musicians how quickly you can turn it into something really good
1: you mean the first gig sounded pretty average not not now
2: no now now no we've got the hang of it now
0: (laughs) yeah and so what is it like to as a drummer usually uh, they loom in the background I mean Floyd is not known for their personality you know it's just the musicianship for the most part now you're the main focus it's Nick Mason's Saucer of secrets, yeah. Finally, fine,
2: right? I'm the leader. Yes, it's fantastic. I realise why Roger is how he is. I'm trying to learn.
1: <laughs> so you'll be front and center when we see you.
2: Absolutely, probably out in the audience. Indeed, the, uh, is the
0: are the drums oh. out front, or where, where do you where do you place yourself? No, sort of.
2: We're not going mad here. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay <laughs> well who was it had a drum get suspended from the ceiling oh tommy oh tommy yeah Rudy. oh yeah i can see that no we're not going there <laughs> all right gonna show you
1: Some
0: spinning. no no uh no grateful dead 30 minute uh drum solos or anything like that
2: fortunately not i'm far too old to do that <laughs>
0: thing. How, and by the way how is your how, i mean a lot of drummers have back issues at this point and you're still you're still going strong you're still feeling great and yeah
2: Yeah. well it's partly from spending 50 years not working too hard lots of (laughs) slow slow um songs that's the other trick nothing faster than my heart rate
0: okay we are talking with rock and roll hall of fame drummer nick mason of pink floyd on the what Differences make podcast we're going to take a break right now and be right back
1: Welcome back to the what difference Does it make podcast and our guest Nick Mason
0: friend of the show and famed heavy metal journalist Martin Popoff mentioned that heavy metal fans love Pink Floyd why do you think that is what what is it about the music that might appeal to a heavy metal fan
2: I really don't know I mean it's, uh, it's uh, trying to work out what people like and why they like it is is nearly always a, a complete mystery and I yeah I, why would heavy metal people like the the wanderings of pink floyd i've no idea
0: i mean what did you grow up listening to? was it i mean you must have been a rock fan and then you you find yourself in pink floyd did you want was there an issue there
2: a need to like okay i want to you know, um, I, I need we need a banger or something no the, the, the thing is when i started playing you know it was it was also it was so part time it was for all of us you know we would That's how we met. We were students studying to be architects. We weren't wannabe rock stars at the time. I think we'd sort of collided with a period in music and some ideas that were prevalent then that had had not existed. There was no opportunity before to do the sorts of things we ended up doing. And that's what sort of made it, was was the time just being right. And and the influence of the Beatles. When we were recording Piper, they were recording Sgt. Pepper. By the time they'd finished Sgt. Pepper and released it, that meant that suddenly the record companies had a completely different idea of who they would sign. And it included all these sort of strange bands who uh, would spend days and days in the studios, which had never happened before.
0: And... Well, I'm going to mention since you mentioned the studio, you recorded in Abbey Road. What is magical about that studio? Do you is there something in in those rooms?
2: Well, the fact of the matter is, the Beatles transformed it into a, a magical place. Before that, it was a pretty sort of business like operation. There, the the technicians had um, brown coats, you know, jackets that they wore designate what they were uh, there was sort of demarcation so they wouldn't let us touch the tape recorders initially and then gradually that sort of melted away and it's a nice melting pot Abbey Road because it's got Studio One which is this huge orchestral studio so mm-hmm. when you went down to the canteen to get coffee you have sort of 57 members of the Royal Philharmonic all having coffee as well Poss- the Beatles by then were famous enough not to have to come down and get their own coffee but it it just had a lot of really interesting people working there and and being there and it it became special during the Beatles reign really
0: well it's also special for Pink Floyd being there as well I think a lot of people think well yeah you know there there is a little bit of that
1: okay wait I I gotta go back to studying to be an architect were any parents disappointed
2: um well not mine (laughs) (laughs) uh no um i think well first of all uh i actually managed to stagger through to get my degree Mm. after three years i think roger did it i can't remember if roger did as well or not no parents were quite good but also we were lucky i was lucky i had a year master uh who i said to him i'm going to drop out and he said fine you can come back next year Uh, so i had a plan b which made life a lot easier. And interestingly, one of my tutors was um, Lord Norman Foster. Earlier this year, I came across him and um, we actually worked together on an exhibition in Spain at the Guggenheim, uh, which was to do with cars and architecture. And that was great fun. And we did a whole thing on the noises of cars, which we recorded. (laughs) And um, uh, yeah, fantastic day out.
1: So your parents could be doubly proud.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So
0: speaking of architecture, let's go to 1980 and the wall. When this uh, wall was actually built, did they call on your your uh, expertise to uh, to construct this wall?
2: They didn't need to because what happened was that, uh, in fact, we used um, architecture or our architecturally trained people. A lot for a lot of the things we did. And There was a guy called Mark Fisher who was a contemporary of ours, and he was at a different architecture school. But he and his um, Jonathan Park were the people who came in to design the the, the uh, tumbling wall, and and that's that's sort of been a little bit of a sort of Floyd history throughout. We had uh, lighting designers who were ex architects and. Um, uh, one of them, Arthur Max, ended up uh, still is working with um, Ridley Scott, has done for, for years. Uh, very talented people who came and um, sort of liked working in our environment.
0: Mm. All right. Can you confirm, we talked to a friend of ours, uh, Larry the Doc, who worked at WLIR, and he told the story about at intermission of the wall in New York at the Nassau Coliseum, that there was an electrical issue and that it was a tough enough production to, to go on anyway do you know of this like during intermission there was a scramble because the the electronics weren't uh, weren't right
2: i don't remember it i do remember when the held uh, this uh, stuff in the in the roof at the sports arena caught fire and that was a bit of a a moment and had to be corrected before we could continue. But um, the history of our rock and roll shows is full of uh, dramas and things that broke and things that exploded. There was a fantastic one in Detroit, I think it was, where we had a, so much pyro, and for some reason, someone doubled the dose and this thing exploded. <laughs> and I think a couple of people in the audience were hit with shrapnel from this but still came back at the, for the second half and that's why metal
0: fans like pink floyd because you never know maybe that's it it's explosions
2: or fireworks <laughs> and and really dangerous toys and flying
0: pigs uh, um last question just about animals does it uh, I, I know everyone kind of asked you about that but was that just kind of why pink floyd is no more is just this uh it took four years for a reissue of a of a record to come out
2: of a reissue of a sleeve note
0: of uh, the sleeve note exactly It took four years to write these notes
2: yeah so <laughs> it doesn't mean the end of pink floyd it just means it won't be till sort of 2025.
0: david gilmore just said that there's a possibility <laughs> that pink floyd may
2: you know the two of you may get together could that possibly happen it could possibly yes. <laughs> I, I was the one who always used to go yeah yeah no we could do it again as I say, if the sleeve notes are a problem, and I have to say, I'm really happy doing the you know, source full of secret stuff at the moment, and uh, I'd really like to sort of carry on with that for the moment.
0: Well, that's great. Yeah, so we we look forward to seeing you. Any surprises that we can expect
2: uh, on your tour? I didn't want to sound pedantic, but how can you expect to see a surprise? So get back to me on that one. Well, we look
0: forward to seeing you on the roads. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nick.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Bye. Thank you, Nick. So a quick chat with Nick Mason, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame drummer of Pink Floyd, but still pretty exciting to to talk to royalty and to learn about A Saucer Full of Secrets. I keep saying A Saucer Full of Secrets because that's the name of the album. But the band is called, Was the band called, Holly?
1: The band is called Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets.
0: Yes, and they're in the middle of a U.S. tour right now. You can hear this music that rarely gets played.
1: And we're going to see them. We're going to see them at the Orpheum Theater in Los Angeles on Tuesday, October 25th. I'm very excited about this. And if you happen to be there, come see us as well.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Say hello. Next week, we get to talk to two members of... Nick's band. Who might that be, Holly?
1: That might be guitarist Gary Kemp, who we have previously spoken to when he released his own solo album last year. And our listeners know him from Spandau Ballet. And Guy Pratt.
0: Considered an honorary member, I guess, of <laughs> Pink Floyd. So just a reminder to subscribe because we have new episodes every Friday. And where can they find us on social media?
1: At WDDIM Podcast and on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast
0: sounds great so then until next time this is dave this is holly check you later over and out
3: it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football